Welcome back to Comics Over Time, a podcast where we take a trip through the history of Marvel Comics with a focus on some of the important and interesting comic stories that inspired the Hollywood blockbusters of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Every two weeks we take a look at a batch of comics, then watch a related MCU movie or TV show. And after we're done, we connect the dots from the comic book panels to the moving pictures and try and answer the most important of questions, who told the tale best? The books or the screen adaptation? My name is Dwayne and with me as always is my good buddy Dan. Dan, we've got a great movie to talk about this week. Sounds like this is going to be an excellent discussion. Glad, glad you're finally on the uh, have have seen the second Captain America train. Yes, as you enjoyed it. It, I, I, oh man, yes. We we got to get through and we got to start talking about it. I am excited. Yeah. So last week we read some early Falcon comics, as well as a great run by Ed Brubaker that introduced the Winter Soldier to the Marvel Comics universe. We're now going to follow that up by taking a look at the second Captain America movie called Captain America, the Winter Soldier, in which both of these characters have key roles. Yes, yes. Before that, we do that, though, we are going to talk a little bit about this week in comics. And so the big story this week on social media, I, I'm sure you saw it if you were out there, was that the Joker is pregnant, at least in the comics. And yes, that is correct. Apparently, there is a backup story in this week's new issue of The Joker, The Man Who Stopped Laughing, uh, that has a amazing short story with The Joker uh, teaming up with a magician by the name of Zantana. And Zantana casts a spell on The Joker that leaves him pregnant and the two on the verge of starting a very complicated new family this is uh this is something this it was written by matthew rosenberg francesco francavilla and tom napolitano uh are, are credited with this story and dan did you see this do you know about what what this is i tried to run away from hearing about any of this and Sorry. Oh, there are there are so many wonderful comics out there, Dwayne. It it frightens me that this, when you go out to look for your comic stories for the week, this is what you come back with. <laughs> Not all of the the brilliant I, stuff that's being done, but this is what the media focuses on. So it it, it totally it was my social media. There are I have some no. people that are talking about comics, uh, and this this was mm -hmm. brought up, and I was like. Oh my goodness. And so I went investigating a little bit more to try and understand the context. And now I have some context, at least a little bit. No, I, uh, I've seen it. I tried, I tried to not look too deeply. It's, it's Zatanna, by the way. Zatanna. Okay. Z, Z, yeah, Zatanna. Zatanna has been around for a long time. She is a justice leaguer. She's, Kind of a character who's been a hero for a long time. Why she's mixed up with the Joker and what this is about starting a family, I don't even want to know. <laughs> how about we just how about we just yeah, move we'll, on from we'll just, this? We'll just move on. If and, you're interested in reading that story, it is issue number four of The Joker, The Man Who Stopped Laughing, and it was available starting this week. So you can go out and look at that. 
One other quick note, we've, we've talked recent, in recent weeks about the big 20th anniversary of Invincible starting early this year. And we're seeing some of the, the fruits of that, I guess, come out and that there is going to be a, a uh, crossover with the wildly popular multiplayer game Fall Guys. So if you're if you're familiar with that game, you're you have these little minions and you run around and you do these games and you try and be basically the last one surviving uh, in, in this. And uh, you can get costumes for Invincible, Omni-Man and Adam Eve uh, in the Fall Guys store as of January 5th. And they look actually really cool. This was announced on Twitter and uh yeah, so part part of the uh, the celebration of the twentieth anniversary of Invincible is, is you can make your Fallout character look like like one of the characters. Have you ever played Fall Guy? I yes, I played Fall Guys. It's fun. I I actually enjoyed it. I played it with the kids a lot back in the day. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Ben uh, Ben liked it a lot. But yeah, that's interesting. All right, well there you go. Merchandising, making some more money for the. Uh, Semi-independent comics, right? Yeah, yes. You had a note here about Magic the Gathering comics. Yeah, so just as a palate cleanser, I was I was going to just let us move past this because we've got a lot to talk about in our sure. in our movie section. But I, I couldn't let the Joker being pregnant pass without giving people an alternative option for comics. And sure. for those out there who are Jed McKay fans, or maybe some folks who are gamers... Over the years, there have been a number of Magic the Gathering comic books that have been published. Some of them good, some of them not so good. The current run, actually, written by our man, Jed McKay, who basically writes everything else that I love, right? Yeah. Is actually pretty darn good. It has tied into pretty well with a lot of the canon story from the Magic the Gathering universe uh, that has been coming out in books and on their website over the last few years. And... As usual, McKay writes a really interesting storyline. He does a nice job with the characters. I'm not entirely happy with the artwork because they seem to be having trouble keeping deadlines. So there are two and sometimes three artists on multiple books. And some of it is not great. But overall, it's actually a pretty good comic book. So if you're looking for something to read and you are a fan at all of either a current or lapsed fan of Magic the Gathering... It's a uh, decent chance to catch up with Jason the gang, see what's been going on. So, there you go. Sounds, sounds good. All right, let's dive in and let's talk about the movie. And this is your spoiler warning if you have not seen Captain America the Winter Soldier from 2014. Yes, that would be now uh, eight plus years, going on almost nine at this point. Uh, we are going to be talking about characters, plot points, all that good stuff during this. So if you have not seen it and do not want it spoiled, please stop the recording and watch it now. You will be happy you did. And then you can come back and listen to us talk all about it in great detail. The fun, the film facts for this film. The tagline for this movie is In Heroes We Trust. Awesome. I like that. The film was released April 4th, 2014. It has a runtime of 136 minutes. The box office for this film was a 
Worldwide took in just over $714 million. Domestically, it took in just under $260 million. And we, I was comparing that to the first Captain America movie. If you recall, that one only grossed $370 million just over worldwide and $176 million domestically. So this, this film did really, really well. On a budget of $170 million, it has an IMDb rating of 7.8 out of 10. Stars Chris Evans, Scarlett Johansson, Anthony Mackie, Sebastian Stan, Samuel L. Jackson, and Robert Redford. It is directed by Anthony and Joe Russo with a screenplay by Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. That is your film facts for Captain America the Winter Soldier. Now we have an extended... It's not two minutes. It can't be two minutes. There is just way too much going on in this film. Dan, tell us about Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Well, it, it must be a two-minute recap because that's what my heading says. Is it's that, That's what it's recap. called, right? That's what it's called. So, yeah. Don't, uh, don't hold me to that, folks. But this was really a very... A very complex movie, though. So just to yeah. give kind of an idea... You know, going through it, even what's here is still missing a lot of detail. So this is a movie that if you haven't watched it for a while, and what we're talking about interests you at all, man, go back and go back and give it another watch. Especially the first probably two-thirds, because it ends with the big battle as always. But leading uh -huh. up to that, oh my God, is there a lot of stuff going on. Yes. So, yes. let's dig in. We actually begin this movie with Steve Rogers striking up a conversation with Sam Wilson, who he repeatedly passes on the left, uh, which is then interrupted by Natasha Romanov. She whisks him away because they need to go on a rescue mission. Turns out the number of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents have been taken hostage, and Cap and his team have to free them from Batroc and his goons. They save the hostages, but Batroc gets away as Black Widow and Cap argue because she was then actually stealing secrets for Fury when he thinks that she should have been helping in the fight. Back at the base, Captain America and Fury have a little bit of a fight about some of the stuff Black Widow had been doing, and Fury actually shows Cap a secret he's been working on, which is a number of new helicarriers that are being built under the Triskelion. He lets on that they're actually a part of something called Project Insight, which will give the government the ability to preemptively neutralize dangerous people. Cap is not on board with this. Soon after, Fury starts to actually suspect that something may be wrong with the project as well, and asks Secretary Pierce to delay its launch. Fury is soon after attacked in his super SUV, and is nearly killed after an extended battle with police and the Winter Soldier. He escapes to Steve's apartment, where he is shot by a sniper. Rogers pursues the sniper, but can't stop him, although he does catch up with him and sees that he is indeed masked and has a metal arm. Fury then dies in front of Steve and his friends on the operating table, and Steve Rogers is attacked by S.H.I.E.L.D. agents as he tries to take an elevator down out of this Triskelion. He escapes from that by jumping out of, actually, the, the elevator's glass window, uh, meets up with the Black Widow, retrieves a secret USB key that Fury gave him, and together they then go on the run, 
decoding the USB drive secrets at a Mac store, and heading to Camp Lehigh, where Captain America originally trained. Once there, they find Emil Zola, or in actual fact an AI based on him, that has sort of been stored to tape back in the 70s or something, and they learn about S.H.I.E.L.D. being taken over by HYDRA slowly over the years uh, in a kind of monologue from Zola before he sacrifices himself in an attempt to kill them. They get away, find their way back to Sam Wilson's house, and Wilson agrees to help them, as well as telling them that they can, if they can get him for him, he will assist them uh, by using the military-issued wings that he'd used when he was on active duty in the military. We find out soon enough that the senator from Iron Man, Agent Sitwell, Secretary Pierce, and a number of other people are all on Team Hydra, which plans to kill up to 20 million people in an effort to establish what they would think of as order on the planet. The Winter Soldier finds our heroes as they're heading to the Triskelion. Uh, there's a big fight in cars that spills out onto an overpass and then down into the town. Cap eventually sees the Winter Soldier's face during this battle, realizes it's a Bucky, which throws him off balance. Our heroes are defeated and arrested, and on the way to be probably killed, they're saved by Maria Hill, who takes them back to Fury. Fury is not as dead as we were led to believe, and together with Cap and, and Black Widow and Fury, they essentially hatch a plan to override the guns on the helicarriers after they've launched. Roger spends a bit of time thinking about Bucky, and we go into a couple of flashbacks, and we come back to real time, and he infiltrates the Triskelion. He takes control of the comms and gives a rousing speech to inspire the non-Hydra members of S.H.I.E.L.D. to sort of rise up against Hydra and what they're attempting to do, after which the helicarriers launch and all hell breaks loose. At that point, there's a nearly 25-minute action sequence to end the film, where Cap and Bucky face off eventually at the end in a battle that will determine the fate of millions. Cap wins, although Bucky shoots him, and is able to retarget the guns just in time. The retargeting causes the helicarriers to shoot at each other instead of the 20 million other people. They destroy each other. As the helicarriers are crashing, Cap saves Winter Soldier from being pinned under some metal. Winter Soldier then returns the favor after beating up on Cap and throwing him into the water (laughs) by jumping into the water himself and pulling him out uh, of the river and saving him. The movie ends up closing with S.H.I.E.L.D. disbanded, our heroes looking for new jobs are on the run, and sort of everything up in the air uh, as far as where they're going to go from here. That's a pretty good recap. Given you had two hours and 16 minutes of content to try and whittle down into some uh you know logical narrative that was that was very well done i think it's over five minutes and i apologize for that but you know what if you want to find something to take out i uh i encourage you to do it because man there's just too much stuff going on right so so i want to i want to talk about on your left and Sam Wilson, the opening scene basically of this movie and, and actually the character as a whole, because uh, I, I think it was really, really important that 
Captain America as this kind of fish out of water actually gets a friend and, and, and the background, the backstory of Sam Wilson has changed from where it was in the comics. He was from Harlem. He, he was talking with, with birds and, 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 and Falcons specifically and had the, this like pigeon coop and all this sort of thing. Uh, in the movie, he's, he has a military background. He took two or two, two tours in Afghanistan and even lost his, his co-pilot during a mission in which he couldn't save him. So there was a lot of similarities and stuff between, between the two characters, a lot of uh, things. And even though he's retired or, you know, discharged from the military, he, he still is working with, uh, with, with um, you know, military folks as they're trying to reintegrate back into civilian life with like a self-help group and different things like this. And I loved Sam Wilson in this movie, just start to finish. Anthony Mackie came across as charming and likable. And the only thing I could think of as I'm watching this movie and seeing him is like, it is a shame we haven't had more screen time with him since. And I know there's, you know, Falcon and the Winter Soldier TV the, the series. The rest of us have, luckily. Yes. So, yeah. No, I, I mean, there's there's He'll stuff that's coming up in the future, but it, it's quite a ways into the future before we actually get a bunch more. And we're going to get some more in 2024 when the next Captain America movie comes out. When, when, yeah. um, when, when Sam Wilson officially takes the reins as Captain America. But... I, I I just I loved the character and everything and I thought it was was really cool and, and in fact I, I saw this comment uh from Mackie about the character and, and it's not lost on him. We talked about last week about about Sam Wilson being this one of like the first African African American superhero like from the US. And, and he said he's the first African American superhero. It makes me feel all the work I've done has been paying off. I have a son, nephews, and nieces, and I love the idea that they can dress up as the Falcon for Halloween. They now have someone they can idolize. That is a huge honor for me. So he gets it. He he gets it, and and it shows. He he just was perfect throughout this movie. What did you think of Anthony Mackie and the Sam Wilson character in this film? Fantastic, and and really, I mean, the the thing I liked. I think is that Cap at the beginning of this movie is somebody who's who's going through a lot. He is this fish out of water, and they deal with that a little bit. The, you know, the person he cares about most is in her eighties and or nineties, and is losing her memory in yeah. what appears to be like a, a home, right? right? And everything he knows, all the people he knows, the world he knows is gone. He also is suffering this trauma of losing Bucky and the trauma of a lot of the other things he went through during World War II. And bringing the Falcon, bringing Sam Wilson in the way he does, or, or the way they do, allows them to bring in a character who Cap just connects with immediately on the level yeah. of these are guys with shared experiences. Uh, there, It's somebody who will understand kind of what he's been going through. And he doesn't look at him necessarily as Captain America. He looks at him as a guy who's 
you know, a vet, a person who's been going through a lot and can kind of look at the fact he's, he's not somebody who just takes care of problems. He's somebody who may have some problems. Yeah. And at the very end of the movie, he's actually got a quote that I think is one of the coolest things about it because they talk to, you know, about who is this guy? And he says, you know, what's, what's he doing? He's like, I do what he does just slower. (laughs) And really, I I think fundamentally, if you think about the Falcon, that's who he is in this. He has that same very direct morality. He has that same dedication to his friends and, and the like. He's somebody who's got that same sense of sort of like honor and duty that Captain America has, that Steve has. And right. it makes him, it, it really does show how he becomes someone who could be a logical next Captain America, even yeah. in this first movie. Yeah. Because you know, he no, really is. Yeah. Give him the right. serum and he's on his way. Yeah. So Those wings I really were enjoy cool. this. The wings were really cool too. I, I, yep. you, think about, you think about how that could have looked and it could have looked actually pretty janky and really dumb looking. But it actually turned out and looked really cool, I, I think, throughout that as well. And just like in the comics, they had the reveal as well. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, the, the first time you see them is when he grabs the guy that, that uh, Black Widow has thrown off the, the building. And he comes up and swooping with the big wings coming over. And it looked really great. Yes. So, yeah. I, I think that everything about that character, the way it was introduced, the way it was set up, and and really just the way he introduced him was great. So I, I like the Sam Wilson character in this a lot. The the other the other thing that struck out to me stuck out to me again was how brilliant Scarlett Johansson was in this film. Uh as Black Widow, a very strong supporting role, just like she had in Iron Man 2. And and actually I think was one of the best parts of the film. And and there's a lot of really good actors and actresses throughout this film and and there's a lot of really interesting characters and i just the way those two work together felt natural and i there was a comment from the russo brothers who directed this film they talked about she's a character who lies for a living that's what she does he's a character who tells the truth give them a problem and they'll have different ways of approaching it she pushes him to modernize and he pushes her to add a certain level of integrity to her life. And, and I loved how they played off each other throughout the whole thing. And some of the some of the best humor actually was Romanoff keeps pressing him about going out with women throughout all this. and is like trying to match him up. And I, and I just I thought it was cute. I thought it was a lot of fun. And, and I, I just I have really grown to really like the. Uh, uh, Scarlett Johansson, Black Widow character, and and it's because of these these very very strong supporting roles in, in these movies in Iron Man and now this one. And I think you know you've read enough comics now to know that the the sort of soap opera aspects of their banter back and forth and the like is exactly what you'd see in a lot of comic books that we've read. You know where yeah. they're not. They're not always just going to be about the punching. The best ones have this character development where you've got the characters either sort of arguing about something or interacting or or just being friends. And that really helped a lot. The other thing that 
I liked a lot about the Black Widow character in this is that, yes, she lies for a living, but this is somebody who has spent pretty much her entire life being sort of manipulated by the powers that be. Especially when she was with the KGB. You know, you you go back eventually, get like the whole story from the Red Room and all of this other stuff. And she's had a she's had a tough life. And at a certain point when she made that move, defected from the KGB, came over to SHIELD, and was now working in what she considers to be more like a legitimate sort of part of the espionage world. There's a part late in the movie where she's like, you know, I thought that I had started working for the good guys. And now it turns out that I was, you know, I just traded in the KGB for Hydra. And there's something heartbreaking in that as well. Yeah. I think they didn't just deal with it from Cap's standpoint, but really, you know, she's got some things to deal with as well. And even at the very end, she gets one of the last words when she's in talking to Congress. She's like, you know, you need me, and I'm going to keep doing good work as best I can. And you can arrest me if you want. But where she actually had a pretty good story across this movie as well. The, her right. character does not come out the same at the end as she went in. Because she's going to be less confident. She's going to be adrift. And yet she's still kind of decided that, you know, even if all these organizations keep failing me, I know that I'm going to keep trying to do the right thing. I mean, we, we could talk about a lot of the other performances throughout this. Chris Evans was still fantastic. I, I actually really liked Robert Redford in his role as Alexander Pierce in this as well. Samuel L. Jackson still just amazing as always. But I want to I want to switch over and talk about like the action sequences and and that because there is some amazing stuff in in this film and uh, it is it it literally kind of hits you like immediately we have that introductory scene of Sam Wilson they're running that sort of thing Natasha picks him up because of this op that they have to go to rescue the hostages on the Lemurian star and. It's just it just kind of go from there. You have this big, huge scene where he's res- rescuing the hostages, and we kind of see this like new and improved, uh, you know, Captain America because this film takes place roughly two years after the Avengers, and so he he hasn't really had much to do necessarily in that time, and so he's basically just been training, and so, uh, you know, the Russo brothers actually asked Evans to kind of work on learning like parkour, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, karate, boxing, different things like this, and, and really kind of modernize uh, his fighting ability and, because they felt like that was what Cap would do. And, and like being the, you know, the super soldier that he is, he's not really going to have a problem with it. And I love that uh, Batrog, the the kind of the head of the the bad guys here, is an MMA fighter, George St. Pierre, who he ends up fighting. They make him look good, so he's he's fighting, he looks good. Chris Evans looks amazing. And the and the other thing is we have the Russo brothers also wanted to see the shield be used as a more of a of an offensive weapon. And so we see him 
flinging the shield, knocking people out with it, that sort of thing. It's got kind of this double strap thing going on so that he can hold it and use it real offensively as well. And and it was just it was just amazing to watch. And and it and it's also, you know, talking specifically about the scenes, it is it's very stunt heavy. It this isn't CGI. This is practical effects. This is live action. This is choreography at its finest. And you know, whether it's that fight, it's the the ambushing that Fury gets when he's in his, in his yep. SUV, whether it, it's the road chase uh, and the first reveal of the Winter Soldier to even that final battle on the helicarriers. There is so much energy and, and so much that is done that it is just amazing how, how well those action sequences played out. And they were spaced just far enough apart that you got an opportunity to take a breath after each one, except for the last one, which is basically like a half an hour, which basically ends the film. Uh, and you're just, you get the reprieve of the, of the credits then at that point, what, what did you think of the, the action sequences? Because I, I just was astounded by those. I mean, it's, it's interesting. I'd be interested to see how you felt about this, but I was watching the show, rewatched it with my son. And as we were sitting there, it was just painfully obvious how much better these movies are than the the recent ones in terms of a lot of this sort of stuff. You know, the, the bus scene from Shang-Chi is really the only one I can think of that, that really comes anywhere close to being as exciting mm-hmm. as what half of the stunt scenes in this were. Because they were yeah. doing so many interesting things with the car chases... The elevator scene is almost like yeah. a, like a movie unto itself in terms of sort of like physical comedy mixed with violence, mixed with I don't really know what's going on here. But right. you know, watching watching Cap sort of figuring it out, and then at a certain point where he's you know before it all breaks loose, he's like, "Just want to throw it out there. Does anybody want to get off the elevator before this <laughs> yep, starts?" Yeah, yeah. Right. Yep. I I don't want to hurt you if you don't want to get hurt. So maybe you'd be better off just leaving. And then, but that scene, we hardly see anything like that in the Marvel Universe anymore. You hardly see that really anywhere because it's a spectacularly done fight scene. You know, you're talking like an 8 by 8 cube or something like that. And they've got 15 guys in there doing a fight scene. And they're not small guys either. None of them are no. small guys. No. Either. Yeah. These are these are not seven year olds or something. These are massive marine sized people. So yeah, it was it was interesting. I I loved that part of it. I liked the you know, even some of the stuff that was obviously CGI, like the helicarriers and the like, really looked good when they did them. So when they needed special effects they did a great job with them, but they didn't, the, the special effects were there when they were needed for the story. They weren't a replacement for the story. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. And I, I was, I was very pleased. It, it was, it was really nice going back and watching this one though. And, and especially the first, like I said, probably two thirds, the last half hour of the movie there is almost no plot development or anything that happens except just people shooting each other. 
Yes. So because of that, you know, the, the really the parts of the movie that were the most fun in some ways to rewatch were the earlier parts where you're getting a lot of that character development and, and some of that really good initial sly Marvel humor, you know, yeah. um, things like, I think I've got a, a thing later on talking about AI and, and the machines, but when Fury is getting his car shot up and he asks for a status report and he's like, you know, is there anything in this car that isn't damaged? He's like in the, the AI is like air conditioning is fully functional. So, right. Right. That is exactly. not what I needed to hear right now, you know. But it was it was weird little things like that that didn't detract from the overall story, but just did keep it very light. You know, when you look at what this was dealing with, and there's some deep themes we'll talk about. Yeah. It still moved fast and it felt light and entertaining. You know? I was I was watching the the featurette that's available if you watch this on Disney Plus, and they talked about the fact that they did they they basically did all the this sort of thing where they just sort of like sparred and stuff like this and they and they started to kind of like figure out moves and stuff and they and they kind of started to like choreograph it between like the stunt people and and like how how they did this and then they got got to the point where the you know the actors and and, and the stunt people got familiar with it and so by the time they got to actually shooting it they they kind of knew exactly what it was going to look like and what the moves were going to be and 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 it just makes it look amazing and uh you know the Russo brothers in that in that featurette talked about kind of the the tone of the film and and specifically uh some of the th- influences for the film and they talk about the bank robbing scene from the movie Heat or or like the vault heist in Mission Impossible where you have very mm-hmm. likable characters that are put in possible situations that the audience is put on the edge of their seat as to how they're going to escape. And, and I, and, you know, I think about that ambush of Nick Fury or the, or that elevator scene, and that's exactly it, right? It feels like that mission impossible scene where, where, where Tom Cruise is being let down on the wire and he's yeah. like, and, and like the drop of sweat could set off the alarm sort of thing. And it was just, I loved that. It was it was so so just fun and yeah. and like nerve wracking at the same time. I definitely was sort of like edge of my seat as we were, as we were watching this film. Yep, I would I would absolutely agree. There was, and and I also liked that at least once or twice, they sort of they sort of set us up for a fight. And then we didn't get one because I think that I actually, in, in, in my mind, I remembered when they were getting, doing the, uh, the Apple store where they're doing the USB thing. Yeah. And then they're in the big mall and getting surrounded. I'm, I'm shocked that they didn't have to fight their way out of that. They just, right. sort of, you know, put their hoods up and yep. walk the other She's way. Like, and the next she, thing we know, they're driving down the road. Yeah. Uh, uh, Natasha's like, kiss me. People people don't yep. like public displays of affection. So he's not gonna look at us if we're kissing. And and that's how they get yeah. on. That's how they get by uh, you know, Brock Rummel there. Yep. So there was a couple of times there where they sort of subverted what you'd expect as well, and I thought that was kind of kind of refreshing. So overall though, yeah, the 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 
action scenes seem to me to be better staged, better lighted, and feel a lot more real than they have in a lot of other movies I've watched in the last few years. And not just to pile on Marvel movies, just movies in general, I think, these days depend a lot more on CGI in a lot of cases, or don't take the time and money to do it as well as this movie did. Where, where, where do you want to go next, Dan? We talked about it a little bit, but... Well, and actually, one other thing that you kind of talked, or we started talking about a little bit, but I do want to talk about what I think is one of the big themes of this, and that is that this is a movie that comes out of a 9-11 America, right? A post-9-11 America. And we're talking 2014, so it would have been about 10 years after 9-11 that this movie went into production and they started writing the script and all that sort of stuff. And it seems to me it very much has the feel of a post-9-11 America sort of conversation going on in it. Because yeah. it is a movie that is about that fundamental sort of compromise that a society has to make between liberty and security. And I'm wondering how that came through to you and how the, you know, while you were watching this big action movie, did it, did it take time where it, at times you're like thinking about those, those ideas or are they sort of more background for you where you didn't really take much time to think about that? I think as I was watching the film, I, I, I was thinking about it, but not deeply thinking about it. And I think it resonated with me after the movie ended more so. Cause I, I, I start, I started thinking about, you know, kind of the, the Alexander Pierce talking to kind of that council about, you know, why they needed this, the helicarriers and this preemptive strike and that sort of thing. And, and, and like, uh, you know, some of the things that end up happening in civil war and some of that that is coming and and it got to be like really kind of interesting and like you said it thought for a thought a very thought provoking sort of thing because it, it there is this like idea that we should be free but we also need security and where is the line and and the line seems to be moving and it constantly seems to be pushing further and further into the security side over the over the liberty side and, and where when do you start pushing back and how do you push back and, and how are you seen if you push back i it, it i i definitely have been thinking about it more so since since i finished watching the movie than while i was watching it during the movie yep and and that's one of the things that i love about this is that when you when you see a movie that's a mass market you know, popcorn kind of movie, the idea that it can have themes in it that you actually can think about and, and it can it can give you something to reflect on once you're out of the movie theater is, I think, important. You know, yeah. that it's great to have escapism and you want the movie to be fun, right? The movie needs to be entertaining or nobody's going to go and nobody should go. But I, I also think it's important that as art, 
if it's going to stick around for a while and you want people to watch these again or or it's going to actually matter but it's got to have something there's got to be some meat on the bones and in this movie i think there's quite a lot of it because what you see is that you have an american sort of security apparatus in shield that everyone trusts and that everyone believes is keeping them safe that in actual fact has been infiltrated by a group that has now subverted the aims of shield and is about to essentially put in their own idea of security and for hydra what they want is control and their belief is that humanity cannot be trusted with its own freedom so because of that the only way that the world can be secure is if Hydra takes its algorithm, decides who in the world doesn't have an outlook for the kind of world they would like, and then eliminates them all by shooting them in the head with lasers. Millions at a time, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so it interests me just that, and, and I think it's it's weird because this may be one of the reasons you mentioned that this made like twice as much money worldwide as Captain America did. And while Cap is a very sort of straightforward, wave the flag, you know, rah-rah America kind of movie in a lot of ways, because it's far more positive about the American military, this is a deeply cynical movie in a lot of ways. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, it basically says you can't trust the government, you can't trust the security forces that essentially sometimes you have to you know look I, I think essentially that's what um fury says at one point is trust no one right and how do you live in a world like that and so i think the other interesting thing is besides liberty and security you get a a final statement that says who do you trust and how do you how does that happen because in the end Cap does trust people. He trusts Falcon. He, you know, when they essentially Black Widow at some point asks, you know, if yeah. if you needed to trust me to save you, would you? And he's like, well, I would now. You know, okay. that they've had these these bonding experiences. But so it's a it's a movie about about who do you trust and you know what are the limits of that trust and what do you do when you're betrayed and the like. Because even Fury is betrayed by Pierce, yeah. you know. So, yeah, it's, it's a it's a movie with a lot going on, and one that more than a lot of other films I think you'll see in the Marvel universe. This one is something you could sit down and watch a few times, and it would get, continue get something to out of it. That. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. it, well, uh, Kevin Feige talked about the fact that this was a 1970s political thriller masquerading as a big superhero film. And, yep. and I, and I could, I could definitely see that, you know, I think of things like the, the French connection and different movies from, from that era that this felt like this could fit right in there. Part of this was the whole Zola um, Arnim Zola and the fact he's been turned into a supercomputer and the like. It sounded like that wasn't some of that didn't work for you. <laughs> so yeah, I I don't I, I would say 
my only critique or criticism, I guess, of this whole idea of Hydra taking over S.H.I.E.L.D. is, one, it feels like it's something we've seen countless times before. It seems like whenever you have these, like, suspense, political, thriller, action films, and that it is always from the inside that these things get taken down and, and the, the hero ends up kind of going on the run as it were. And, you know, I will say this, this still felt different, but it just, it, it felt the, the whole idea of Arnim Zola being able to somehow infiltrate the ideology of shield and, and subvert it into what Hydra was trying to do as he's this, like, you know, scientist first and then as this supercomputer kind of thing later. It just, it seems like to me that, you you know, we actually had, uh, you know, a program after World War II, Operation Paperclip, which they actually reference in the film, where, where, where we, where, German scientists did end up coming to America and did, you know, try and help after the fact. And it's like, I would think that there would be so many safeguards in place to ensure something like that would not happen. That it just feels like, I don't know, it just feels like it's too easy. And, and I guess it's probably not. But at the same time, it was just it, that that was my only thing is and they talked the I was actually reading and they were the Russo brothers were talking about, you know, at what extent do they bring back kind of Hydra in this film? And they talked about kind of, uh, you know, do they bring back Red Skull? And they actually show a picture of Red Skull during Arnim Zola's monologue. And they said they couldn't really do much more than that because Red Skull is a very fantastical character. And they, they thought that that would be a bridge kind of too far. And and so they were like, well, they could see this. The scientist, you know, gets brought over. They're trying to get them to help. And, and, and he can somehow, you know, start to infect his ideology into the people around him and, and get it into the programs and different things like that. So, yeah, that was like my only nitpick. But it was just more of a this has been done before and I don't really think it needs to be that. And and the fact that it's like, man, how could they not safeguard this from happening? Yeah, <clears throat> and and I think that that whole idea of the safeguards is something that probably theoretically is what a lot of those senators should be asking at that point too. But right. and you know, and and the number of bad guys who you've got in in the in the shield environment, and it's not all of them, obviously. No. A, a large percentage of the, the S.H.I.E.L.D. folks, when Cap's like, hey, need your help here, they right. they responded. So, yeah, I, I would agree. I kind of, I kind of did love, as a comic book fan, that this weird, like, 8-bit supercomputer <laughs> and, and his weird monologue is how we get, uh -huh. like, most of the, the backstory we need about... How uh, things got taken this. over, yeah, and yeah. Some of this other stuff and everything else. Uh, you needed it. it, was, it, it was you needed an ex 
you needed it explained in some way, right? Yep. So, but yeah, it was it was goofy, but it was kind of awesome nonetheless. I will I will say, but but really that whole Zola, you know, and I I talked about or or looked at this a little in our notes. There's also a lot of weird post-human themes going on in some of these, where besides the whole liberty versus security, you start to see that whole idea of human beings being sort of either supplemented or replaced or whatever, because you've got, you know, coming out of this, Ultron, at the very end of this, you see Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver in the cutscene, where yeah. you're looking at human beings who are no longer quite human anymore. We have Iron Man with his armor and his AIs, and it seems like Fury's car is smarter than most people. <laughs> yes. Know? So everything's got an AI now, and it does seem like the Marvel Universe is just a place where people, normal people, continue to just have less and less control over their own life, and how that's going to impact things long term is, is something they're going to have to deal with. Let's move on and let's talk about kind of the title villain, the Winter Soldier. And this was felt right out of, felt like it was right out of the Ed Brubaker comics. Like this was, this felt, you know, obviously slightly different. Who's controlling the Winter Soldier and what he's, you know, what he's being tasked to do slightly different but you know talking about him being this myth killing lots of people over an extended period of time just sort of is there and then vanishes and this sort of thing and and even like the actual reveal of of the winter soldier like i i i don't really count kind of the 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 rooftop scene because you don't really rogers doesn't really get a good look at who the assailant is but it, it's on the on the on the road on that big highway scene when when we see the mask come off and he realizes who that is that is yep. that it's Bucky that is 30 32 minutes into the film like or the the first first reveal of him is 32 minutes in the film and then you have this big reveal that it's Bucky later further down the road and it was I, I was watching it and like the fight scene after that on the street with 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 Black Widow, you could see that, you know, they talked about this guy being like almost superhuman, like he should have the serum. He was this brilliant, um, you know, fighter and stuff and and how you just cannot escape him. It was it was it, it, it felt it felt great. It felt right out of the comic books. And even, even like the final battle of him at the end, I, I felt like the way that the story sort of resolved itself was, was perfect. I was like, there's no way Captain America, Steve Rogers is going to attack and kill his friend. He, Cause he still sees that character, that guy in him. And he goes and he like literally, frees him from this falling debris and then winter soldier just starts pounding on him and he's like i'm not going to fight you and, and he ends up you know falling from a a uh you know the helicarrier as it's crash landing 
into the water and and he never throws another he doesn't throw another punch at him it, it is just yep. it it was it was just start to finish i think the way they handled the winter soldier felt felt perfect to me based on the comics that we read last week so what's interesting though when you say start to finish his story is far from over yeah, like we, no, we don't like really get any in this any fi- good in this film. Yeah, anyway. in this film. So, so this is one of those weird things where they call it the Winter Soldier, but the character of the Winter Soldier really never actually gets that developed. He's a he's an an adversary, but he's not actually the main antagonist. You know, he's no. he's a tool. We see him kind of get his brain redone. Because he's starting to remember and the like, we see him having a few kind of of times where he starts to question his orders. What's weird is that Civil War, which comes next, is really Captain America, the Winter Soldier, because that's the one where we really get all of our sort of resolution and we get a lot more from Bucky himself and everything. But, yeah, I think the way they set this up, the way they use the character in a way that's effective enough that people aren't like feeling that somehow they're hiding things from them. And yet he's introduced, he's still available next movies. We're going to get more from him. One thing that is interesting and it's a, it's a bit of a spoiler for the next movie, but keep in mind that comics and MCU different. He does have the super soldier serum in the movies. So it's one of the fundamental differences is that he is a super soldier in the movies because some of the, some of the hits he was taking and the things he was doing, Captain America pounds a normal person in the face. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. They are not, they're not getting up no matter how well trained they are. Right. That is true. So he is, he is a super soldier. um, And they'll explain that the backstory will come in later movies. So, We we see the, so, yeah. we see Captain America get the dossier about the Winter Soldier at the end of the film, and and even Wilson's like, when are what are we gonna? Let me know when we're gonna we're, we're gonna work on that. But he looks terrifying. I mean, Sebastian Stan yeah. did a great job too of being like sort of this, you know, murderous hobo or whatever type of look <laughs> that you would you would not want to be messing with him if you just saw that guy on the street so, right yeah yeah was... in, in, in talking in talking about preparing for the role sebastian stan went through five months of physical training and historic research said he drove around he dove into the whole cold war history looked at the kgb looked at all kinds of spy movies documentaries about that time and what that was about grabbed anything from that time period and anything about brainwashing. So he was really diving into that part. And while he was on the set, he was, he had this like plastic knife that he was like playing with flipping and all that. You can really see like during the movie, how that ends up making some of those fight scenes with him using the knife look that much more believable because he was just so used to, doing some of these flips and turns and yep. and readjustments with the knife throughout throughout uh uh you so know, those were actually him sequences. that was not a that was not a, a double for a lot of, a lot of those times those were that was actually him cuz he was he hmm. he had been doing a lot of practicing with it he talked about even like when he was 
at home during breaks and stuff and like and leading <laughs> up to it that he was looking ridiculous with this plastic knife around the house so that was that that was that was, was, cool. was kind of cool oh, that's that's cool to see so yeah i i think that i have no complaints about the winter soldier and the way that they brought him in i think that it was a a well adapted sort of storyline in terms of what they'd already done and how they could work it in while still maintaining most of the important stuff of what Brubaker had done. One of the things that I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about is the whole idea of, you know, from a, a different side of things, you've got your, you know, we talked a little bit about how this is a movie that talks a lot about liberty and security but it also deals a lot with guilt and regret and i think it's interesting that you see and and also with sort of those bonds of history you know that many of the characters in this either have things in their past that they're trying to make up for or things in their past that have bound them together like pierce actually technically owes fury because fury saved his daughter's life you know, decades ago, and that's how Fury ended up getting his job and the like. And many of the other characters have these sorts of things. I think it's really a movie that there are some times where you really can see that there there are a lot of damaged people in this film, and the choices they're making sometimes are informed by that. So again, you know, superhero movie, popcorn movie, but I think the people felt real. In a lot of ways, you know, Black Widow yeah. felt real. I, I think that that a lot of the stuff that that Steve Rogers is dealing with really sort of resonated, and that helped to take a movie that, even though it's got a lot of fantastic elements, and it really grounds it. Even Nick Fury did a you know the Samuel Jackson did a great job with him of kind of dealing with those stages of figuring out there's something wrong, being betrayed, figuring out the betrayal, all the rest. So he had he had quite a few things too, and, and Jackson did a great job with it. I liked I liked a lot a few of the, the weird things about the Fury character. They played with that a little bit. You know, the fact that he had the thing about his eye patch, where, you know, last time I trusted somebody, I lost an eye. Well... Now we find out he's talking about an alien cat, but at the time it seemed really cool, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> never trust a cat. That's just dumb. But um, outside of that, the at the very end where, you know, he's dead now, so they've got his tombstone there, and it uh, at the bottom of it, if you read what it says on it, is it's it's actually got, it's, it's got the quote about... Um, the path of the righteous man, which of course, every time that his uh, his hitman killed somebody back in Pulp Fiction, he would read that. that Joel Swinfield, yeah. Yep, he would read that uh, thing from Ezekiel. Ezekiel, yep. Yeah. The path of the righteous man, and then he, you know, do very non righteous things and the like. So they did a lot of kind of interesting things there, but but it was something where. A lot of these characters had a lot going on, and I think that made the movie a lot stronger. So there were very few 
poorly developed characters. Even Pierce, as deranged as he was, he was one of those Marvel villains where you can kind of see where he's coming from. You know, where he's like, my family was endangered back in the day. It changed my worldview. I'm really concerned about security now. And especially with what's been happening, the only way we can be safe is to do this crazy thing, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, I, the best, the best kind of adversaries or villains or, or antagonists are the ones that, that you can, to a point, see where they're coming from. They're just going and taking it a bit too far. Right. And and that's exactly where I think this, the, the, the Pierce character was in, in this film. It's like, Hey, I can see where you're coming from, but you're going, you're going well beyond the, the where, where you should be with this. And then there's a senator who's just a complete piece of dirt and needs to go to jail. <laughs> there's also yeah. a few of them who are just bad guys. So we'll right. take that as well. Right. Let's talk about the Carters because I, I, I'm a little unclear about Peggy Carter and Sharon Carter, who, who we, who we see in this film. Uh, what is their relationship and, and how, how are they related to Captain America? Because obviously Peggy was a love interest from the first film and Sharon, same last name. I think they're related they are they're definitely related. She's either a niece or a great niece of Peggy. So Sharon okay. is Sharon is a a Carter of the Virginia Carters, which are uh, essentially a a group that's kind of an offshoot of the the family that Peggy has over in England. Is sure. the best way I could explain it cuz you know, she's American and her aunt is British. But they're they're not mother and daughter. She's not reincarnated from her. She's not a clone of her or anything like this. It's just good old fashioned family yet, relations that we know of yet. So far, so yeah. It's... All right, I've got uh, some some different tidbits that that I found while researching the film, as well as some references of the comics. Should we should we go through those? I'm intrigued to see what you've come up with this week. Yeah. So, so obvious, you know, we've talked about some of these, but like the first thing I thought was kind of interesting is during the featurette, they talked about uh, a lot of the city scenes and the car chase action sequence on the highway was filmed in Cleveland and, and substituted for New York uh, in part because they allowed for the shutdown of three blocks of our three uh, multiple blocks and three miles of highway specifically for the filming over several days. The SUV scene that that is that is uh, was filmed originally on a on a Cleveland uh, downtown street. Uh, huh. The the uh, film title, the working title, or the we don't want anybody to know what we're filming uh, was called Freezer Burn when they were you know that's hey. the code name for the film uh, as they were doing it. And actually, there was, there were, when they were writing the script, they were talking about putting Hawkeye into the film, and and in a lot of play, they they had some initial things that they had drafted, and 
ultimately they decided that there was going to be too many characters and they needed to streamline down a little bit. So a lot of the things that Hawkeye was going to do ended up, uh, Black Widow ended up being the one that did them throughout this film. Oh, uh, by the way, one th- while we are while we're talking about this, we yes. also probably should have mentioned Hawkeye a little bit during our events for this week, and send out a note, uh, kind of to oh yes, you know, get well, get well for Jeremy Renner, who right. somehow ran over himself with a snowblower, and this is not like a small snowblower; it's basically no. like a massive machine. And he messed yes. up his leg pretty badly, as well as some other things, uh, some chest stuff. So, yes. sounds like he's recovering. We don't have a lot more on that. But, yeah, definitely. Yes. No, we'll, uh, that is true. I, I did. He, he he tweeted out a picture or, or put it on Instagram or something. And he, he, looked, he looked like he had been through a, a battle yes. with the Avengers. And it did not look pretty. It did not look pretty. So as hopefully he's going to be okay, but yeah, it's, yeah. it is kind of, it is kind of ironic because Hawkeye is a character who in the comics ends up looking, especially in recent years, a lot like Renner looks in that hospital bed, just completely right. beaten up. And, uh, uh, it's really, really unfortunate. Hopefully he gets better soon and we will see Hawkeye season two wandering around with him, uh, swinging through the city again sometime soon. Yes. Uh, so the last tidbit I wanted to point out that uh, I had a, I, I didn't catch it first time around, but it was pointed out on uh, the IMDb site. Jasper Sitwell mentions some of the high risk targets that Hydra is keeping tabs on. Among these are Bruce Banner, Dr. Stephen Strange, and he says a man in Cairo. And, you know, if you think about who that could possibly be, they might have been referencing our man Mark Spector, Moon Knight, uh, who is an Avengers team member who hadn't hadn't been mentioned or anything in film or or TV to that point. Obviously, we know down the road he ends up getting uh, getting a TV series, but that that may have been the first indirect reference to Moon Knight in the MCU way back in 2014 that is a bold take interesting yeah we'll, we'll yes. take it more yes. moon night it's always good always all right. good all right so a few of the references from the comics is uh the freighter batchrog hijacks the the lemurian star is a reference to lemuria the sunken cat uh, continent in which is home to the deviants uh, mm-hmm. From the from the Eternals com- uh, uh, comics, uh, there is a scene scene at the very beginning. Captain America jumps out of the plane without a parachute. That is a direct uh, homage to a scene from the Ultimates, which we actually read uh, right before watching the first Avengers film. So that 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 jumped out to me. Uh, we have so one, one other thing. Before sure. we before we go too far there, did any of the other parallels between this and the Ultimates happen to come home to you at all? Because there's a lot of sort of Shield sort of being taken over by a another force that comes in there on that one as well. Yeah, so remember they get locked out of their own Triskelion and all of the rest. Yes, and that's like right. That. That's so, right. 
It's a different kind of story, but in terms of some of the ways that S.H.I.E.L.D. ends up being used against the world and, and the like, kind of under the noses of the heroes. Kind of, uh, like you said, it's a story that happens every once in a while. But it did, yeah. it did resonate with me that it was almost like they took a little bit of the Ultimates and mixed it in with the Brubaker Captain America. So as I was saying, Cap's new costume takes cues from the super soldier outfit he wore when he served as director of S.H.I.E.L.D. in the comics. I, I have not seen those particular ones, but so I'm going to have to take the uh, commenter's word for that. Uh, we actually do see Ed Brubaker does have a cameo in this film. He is one of the scientists that are at the birth of the Winter Soldier uh, during some of, some of those scenes uh in where where they're in that underground bunker and that sort of thing so he's he's one of the extras in there which is which during is the during the so i didn't know in, that during the throwback scene or when they're reprogramming him when when they're reprogramming him so it's at okay. about an hour and a half in so right before the big kind of uh big scene okay. at the end of the film so I think it's when Redford comes down and is talking to him and he's questioning knowing okay. Steve Rogers and that sort of thing. He was one of those one of those science guys that was that was in the room there, I think. Excellent. All right, that sounds good. So, and then obviously yeah. you you did mention it, but we did have a mid credit scene where we got to see the Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. Uh being locked up and being observed by by uh, one of the other Hydra uh, bases and Baron Mordor. Baron Strucker. Strucker. Baron Strucker. That's what it was. That mm -hmm. is is watching it as well as they've got the 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 scepter and stuff and that and so that was that was to set up uh, the Avengers: The Age of Ultron, which is coming, which was the next film that Captain America appeared in. So yep, those sure. were some of the references that were noted that mm -hmm. I noticed and some of the ones that uh, were pointed out to me uh, from the comics. All right. So I think we may be at the point, Dwayne. We've got our face off. And this, this week, uh, I think you've got good choices in front of you because yes, I last do. week... We watched Captain America, or we read Captain America Volume 5, 1 through 14, which are the sort of creation of the Winter Soldier books that are by Ed Brubaker and a number of really talented artists. And then this week, we watched Captain America the Winter Soldier by the Russo brothers. So, what do you got for me? I I have to go with the film. I, I am... I am... That is not an indictment in of the Ed Brubaker run. I just, I have to tell you that I think this movie like rivals is right there with the original Iron Man movie. If I would have seen this movie when it came out, I would have been hook, line, and sinker into the MCU. That's how good this movie is, and and it and it works from a level that is not just a superhero film, but just a really good kind of political espionage thriller uh, suspense film. In addition to being just a really good action film, a good comic book film, a good just popcorn film. 
with with some things to make you think about it after you've left the theater as well there's just there is a lot of layers to this and this is a movie i think i'm going to want to go back and watch watch probably every every year or two because it, there was so much here that i liked and and like i said this does not indict the ed brubaker run because that was some of the some some of the very best comic books uh some of the very best comic book story that I've read to this point. Well, that sounds, I can't, I can't argue that I, I can give a counterpoint. Uh, and that is that I, I thought initially going in that the Brubaker books, which I, I really like a lot, were going to win this on my side. And that even though I really liked the movie, but after we watched it, there's there's two key points on the movie side that go for and against for me. The against part is that, to be quite frank, the last half hour of the movie, that just extended act, you know, action scene, got a little bit old after a while. With the whole, we need to put the three little things into the three the little... controller chips, yeah. Controller chips, you know. Essentially, it's it's... 25 minutes of, of armed IT repair or something like this. <laughs> and, and it was not okay. 100% the best. But the uh -huh. first part of that movie and all of the stuff that's in it, all the themes, all of the characterization, a lot of the other stuff, I think is strong enough that I probably have to go with the movie for this week as well. Even though I really do like the Brubaker books, Captain America the Winter Soldier is really everything I could ask for in a comic book movie. You know, you're going to have a bunch of things exploding at the end because it's the nature of this genre of film, right? But the acting's great. The directing's great. They used a ton of practical effects when they could. I think that the actual movie making of this is is really high quality and the story's there. So there's really there's really nothing in particular to take away from this. It is one of the best comic book movies ever made, and uh, yeah, I'd have to, I'd have to probably lean that way too. So, sorry, comics, but that's that's how that goes. All right, Dan. So where where let's look ahead to next week. Where are we going now? So I'm not nearly as confident in my chances this coming week. Because we're going to read Guardians of the Galaxy comic books. Then I'm going to watch the Guardians of the Galaxy first movie. And again, this is when Marvel's kind of riding high. The Guardians first movie's a pretty fun movie. Yeah. What we're going to do is I'm going to give you a potpourri. I'm just going to throw things against the wall and see if any of it really works for you. So we're going to read Marvel Superheroes number 18 from way back in the day. Which is the very first Guardians of the Galaxy appearance. It's nothing like anything else you'll see from the Guardians. And I'm throwing it in there mostly just so you see how far something can change in the comic universe and still keep the same name, right? Then we're going to look at three different series of Guardians books, starting with the first issue of each and just reading the first sort of arc. So it's going to be Guardians of the Galaxy 2008, number one through six, Guardians 2013, number one through three, and Guardians 2020, number one through four. So total of 14 books from a bunch of different eras of comics 
and give you a chance to sort of get a sampling of what's been going on with Guardians of the Galaxy uh, over the, especially the last decade or so. That sounds good. And that's going to wrap it up for us for this week. We'd like to thank you all for joining us. If you're new to the podcast, please consider subscribing on your podcast player of choice. That way you'll get each new episode as soon as it's released. If you've been listening for a while, we'd appreciate you telling a friend about the show or leaving us a review. It will help others find the show going forward. If you have some thoughts on Captain America, the Winter Soldier, or anything else comic book related, we'd love to hear them. You can interact with us on social media via Twitter. We are at Comics Overtime there. You can also be reached via email. That address is comments at comicsovertime.com. Dan, we got a fantastic movie this week, and I remember being unexpectedly surprised by how great the Guardians of the Galaxy film is. And I have to tell you, I'm pretty excited about seeing a comic book version of these same characters. I think you should be. Uh, it's a... Uh... It's going to be interesting stuff. Uh, they are eclectic, though. So we'll see whether these really fit your uh, fit your interests or not. But in any case, we'll be back next week to talk about them. So looking forward to that. Till then, take care, everybody. See you later, folks. Have a great week. <laughs>